Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of music, the show of mixing, mixology, tubas, William Grant and Sons, Hendrix, Jen. Today's guest is the lovely Fred Parent from William Grant and Sons, the brand ambassador for Hendrix Jen. He joined us here in Austin just a few months ago, but due to unforeseen circumstances, aka bad weather, he was unable to launch the massive behemoth cucumber that represents Hendrix Jen. Oh, so wow. Talk about a lot of different things and history is a great thread in this chat as well. And I, I think it's very intriguing some of the things that Fred brings to the table. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Fred Parent. Sometimes it's a different thing when it's from a different region like oh, exactly. from Texas Dude, versus it, another part of the absolutely US or right. from Scotland or Australia you know it is a, it'll be a different coriander a different juniper a different and just slightly yeah. punch in a different way because so uh, mm-hmm. for example speaking of Hendrix right mm-hmm. so in the states we have this juniper well, obviously we have this ashy juniper that grows mm-hmm. it's like the cedar juniper mm-hmm. that some people really blame for the the you know <laughs> all the allergies and stuff which is sure. not true it's actually supposed to be a way to aid those allergies yeah. but there's this juniperus commonus which grows mm-hmm. mostly like up in colorado and pine you know these large mountains and stuff so it's got to be different though when you right. start going to scotland right like it's a sure. totally different thing yeah and actually to, to that point um we don't source everything from scotland that we put into hendrix yeah. and for that reason i know that it's 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 very popular the small batch, close to home thing is, right, is, is right. really trending now. And sure. I certainly understand. I mean, I'm a farmer's market guy myself. Yeah. Um, but with, with a gin like Hendrix, um, Leslie Gracie, our master distiller. I met her one time. And got to, to meet Leslie. Yeah, you know, yeah. sometime real quick. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I feel like the problem child because I'm like asking questions and no one gives a shit about, <laughs> yeah. but I kind of care. And she's yeah. like, oh, it's a blend of this. Like, she's oh, the person to ask that question. Yes, you know, and that's it. Yeah. That's why I always relish my time with her because like just a chance to pick her brain. Mm-hmm. Um, because she spends she spent, you know, the majority of her life focusing on on flavor and taste. And she's what's very important to her is consistency. Yeah. Um, I think what makes Hendrix such a it's been a popular gen since it really like broke into the market and why it's still continued to grow yeah. um amongst bartenders and just, you know, all people really is the consistency. Is yeah. that the the consistency of the bottle, the consistency of the spirit, is always of that high quality, and it's really because we do take the time. Everything is small batch. It's um, you know, our, our gin stills are minuscule; they're less than a thousand liters. Yeah. Um, pretty much each batch of Hendrix is about uh, a little less than five hundred liters that uh, comes off. That's pretty. Yeah. Um, it's really Leslie t- tastes every batch, you yeah. know, to make sure everything's right where it needs to be. Um, our master stillman. Uh, Alan Rimmer has been with Hendrix since Leslie, since the beginning. Wow. Um, so the people that handle the day-to-day process really take care in it and also really take care in that consistency. Um, and then back to the point about the botanicals and where they come from, um, we choose to source certain of them from very specific places right? Um, because we want to make sure that, A, there's enough of it to, to meet the volume. Right, right. And you want to be consistent. Doing it. 
but also that that consistency of that great flavor um she works so hard to find that balance yeah i think it's important to kind of keep well it's interesting like so, so some of the, you know one of the things i think people don't realize about gin is that mm -hmm. it's not as i mean alcohol is not exactly a articulate medium to express mm -hmm. flavor and by that i just mean that if you have two berries that were one's more ripe one's less ripe it doesn't always express itself in that's the distillate point. right so sure. that's kind of nice because sure. focusing on consistency is greater than mm -hmm. picking out each berry totally. you know and a lot of people kind of they focus on different pieces of it but mm -hmm. you know so how do you feel about gin as a category where you've got 10 new gins every quarter. Yeah, it seems like every week almost yeah, sometimes. Yeah, crazy. Um, I'm excited about it. Yeah. And it's, even for me, like I, I still consider myself a bit of a newbie into the category because um, coming up as a bartender, I really like to play with whiskey a lot. And whiskey was always like, oh, yeah. whiskey was something I would just go to. You know, I loved working with it. And I had a couple of bad experiences when I was younger with gin. <laughs> um, and ironically, I've actually met quite a few people who share that story. Why is that a common narrative? Why is that? Happening? You want to know what I think? Yeah, what I think yeah. it is, is often, um, or at least I think for our generation, let's say, yeah. is uh, gin was, you know, an older thing. You know, it was like your father, your grandfather's drink. Right. So often people were sneaking around, sneaking about what they, whatever they were getting their hands on probably wasn't A, the best spirit. Probably or B, not. They probably didn't know how to drink it, didn't yeah. know what it was, didn't, you know, just didn't know much about the spirit or what it was going to impart. You can't start, body, I don't think you, you know? can start with gin. It's, uh, it's, if, a, it's, it's a bit of an acquired taste, well, you know? And, and yeah, how sure. many people drink gin by itself? Right. This guy. Well, no, all right. Okay. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're the draper, sure, sure, John Draper sure. of gin and whatever. But, but like, if you think about it, just it's people, and you know, 80% To people, me, it's, it's the mixable spirit. It um, is. Without cocktails... There and, is no gin, if and you think about it. Absolutely. Maybe vice versa. I mean, oh, there's, sure, there's, sure. there's tons of stories, you know, like that the Martinez is the precursor to the martini. Yeah. And it's one of the original, you know, really original drinks that came out in the Bon Vivant's Companion right. in 1862. Um, I've been doing a little side uh, piece uh, called Tipplers and Talking Machines that's going to be coming to Austin, hopefully in the next month or two. Which Tell is me cool. it is a reenactment of old Genesis records. <laughs> Close. <laughs> You're Peter um, Gabriel well, with well, your butt head shaved, right? Yeah. Like right. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's uh, it's an exploration of the the affinity between the curious affinity between taste and sound. Okay. Um, because I basically I just love records. You know, I'm sure we'll yeah. talk more about. Yeah, we got. To, we'll talk players. about it a Um, but when I realized Thomas Edison, I never knew Edison invented the phonograph. That that was one of his key major yeah, huge inventions. Huge. And I start digging and digging and digging. And it, he invented the phonograph around 1877. The Bon Vance Companion came out in 1862, whereas the reprint actually came out in 1877 that featured most of the drinks that we know. Oh, know really? Now, the Martinez and like a lot of those drinks. Yeah. So there's a lot of like origin stories. Sure. Like, you, know, you could discussions. say that maybe he met with a guy and they started working together. You never right? know. Yeah, you never right? know. Right? So, but also I always noticed as a bartender and a former performer DJ yeah, yeah. that music if the bartender and the dj are on the same page it's a great party like, no matter yeah. what right sure so i was like well maybe it's been like that from the beginning and i want to piece this together piece by piece so yeah. basically it's an explore it's a dinner it's gonna be a dinner for um for bartenders um in each each market that i visit yeah where i take them through this story that i've compiled by kind of pulling the histories together really um and just kind of going through three eras so basically 1860 to present okay um and kind of comparing cocktails of the age with the machine i actually acquired the machines 
Um, I have a 1902 Edison phonograph. Are you kidding me? Uh, A 1940s Victor II Victrola. I'm sorry, Victor IV Victrola. Victrola? And then I have a 1967 Andrea turntable changer that plays 33s and 45s. Oh, my God. And the first two are just crank. They're not haunted, are they? Like, the last movies I saw with the Victrola, like, the the Victrola was haunted. (laughs) You play it enough. Frankly, like, (laughs) like, we haven't really gotten too deep into it, so you never know what's going to come out. Still in the box. We'll see what Um, happens. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, DJ Mac, a DJ I know out in Brooklyn, um, specializes in antique phonographs. So I wow. reached out to him, and I was like, this is my idea. And uh, he worked with me and helped me acquire them. That's so, so cool. big shout out to Mac. You, yeah. you know, so you know, it's also, and it, mm-hmm. this is the first time I ever realized this. Now we're talking mm-hmm. dates. So for some reason, maybe my primary schooling was effective in this one sense, and that mm-hmm. I know that the Civil War ended in 1863. Mm-hmm. Okay? So to think that proper cocktails as we know it, Right on the that, right? That's insane, right? And, and what's interesting about it, too, is it wasn't the beginning of the single cocktail. Right. Which I feel like some schools of thought kind of treat it that way. Yeah. Like, this is when cocktails started, and this is when our lineage started. But, I mean, I mean, as an African-American, I can tell you that the, another research project I've been really into is how long African-Americans have been mixing cocktails, which dates back to slave times. Really, um, and then post slavery, um, there was a lot of prominent African American bartenders. Actually, that's amazing that you don't really hear about. No, in, no, in no history. one has heard about that. Yeah, that's a brilliant. Yeah, piece and it's some it's something that I've kind of just recently started researching a bit. Was a was the man? Mm-hmm. So did we? So you would know because I've got to mm-hmm. I got to ask sure, the sure. historian, right? <laughs> I did. So, I, I studied history. See, there you, you know, go. Wake Forest, I hear it too, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so that's not so shabby. Is not that, too shabby? You know, so. Were the ingredients, I like to think that every group had, every regional mm-hmm. group, maybe it's every race, but every mm-hmm. every nationality like has these particular ingredients that they like to use, sure. right? So I think about the Chinese use mm-hmm. bijou, bijou or bijou, and then the sochu with, with the Korean or whatever, sure, right? So sure. you got these different things. Definitely. Was there anything particular to the African-American like cocktail culture that, that was specific mm. to that? That's a wonderful question. I, I don't have that information see we should find that we should but i mean if if it's anything like the the culinary aspects um when you see a lot of these soul food dishes and how they're still prepared today a lot of that came from the fact that they had scraps more or less dude Um, these people yeah no one would eat chitlins otherwise people were able to make like this cuisine that was good like you know edible at very least but good (laughs) to many people um out of perceivably the scraps so that that's a great question i mean i just wonder I, if they I, were I moonshining wonder, too right yeah like, or if there was anything specific to let's say the american south or yeah. to the northeast because you know, sorghum is huge happen right I mean, anyway know. so the, the wheels are spinning but well, that's a brilliant maybe on the next next yeah, one it's something, i'll revisit that yeah, yeah we should talk about that because i think that's a sure. really so no one's talking about that yeah. one when you when we frame it and say well mm. actually proper mm. you talk about bon vivant like yeah that's 1862 you said or 60. yeah 1862 was the yeah. first print yeah that was during mm-hmm. a huge massive turmoil and inter crack into the fabric of america at that mm-hmm. time to think that people like were drinking and making insightful cocktails then yeah and that puts it in perspective for me i never thought about yeah and that's why i think jerry thomas is so important to 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 the baseline of understanding yeah. the bartender history because that was when the bartender was famous that's when the bartender was uh, there's there's a quote. Um, Jerry Thomas at that time was making four hundred dollars a week, which wow. was more than the vice president of the United States God. at the time. If that tells you anything yeah. about oh, yeah. where bartenders were pre-prohibition, and then essentially what, 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 what prohibition did to bartenders here in America, but also conversely is why there's so many beautiful single cocktails in that culture. Yeah, it's all over the world 
not to say the bartending didn't already exist everywhere else, but the single cocktail was a uniquely American thing. Before that, you'd have large serves. You'd have punches and ales yeah, yeah. and things that could be served to a group. So Unmasked, me and you right? would have yeah. the same drink, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And in America, the American bartender, and I think probably why they became rock stars, it's like, I'm going to make this just for you. Yeah, and they I'm knew how this to, for you. The song is just for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, that makes and, a lot of sense. And what's interesting about it, too, is that um, they weren't writing it down. So most of this was being passed on orally from bartender to barback or right. to, to apprentice. and Like a, um, like a folklore, like absolutely. a myth, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I feel like that's kind of the correlation I see to music and the correlation I see to art and yeah. writing, where it's like when we decided to record things, what did that do for us? And the way I like to think about it optimistically is musically, right? Yeah. That song that we just did was so good, we have to find a way for people to hear it again. And not just oh, us okay. doing it again, exactly how that sounded. Yeah. You know, and that's when, you know, that's the phone. Autograph, man. You know, yeah. That's what that did. Well, I think the same thing with, with cocktails. You know, it's like once you could write it down and then we could review all these things we've written down, it's like that's when people can start doing the riffs. I mean, look at what we're doing now. Yeah. How everything is loosely based on the build of some classic, brilliant, beautiful cocktail right. that already existed. Three chord pop song, man. Honestly, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like there's some there's some rubric or the three act play, you know. Yeah, abs- oh my god. Certain things yeah, yeah. that work and part partly and this is as artists, you know, partly is because that's what people expect, it's what they're used to. Yeah. And they know how to process it. So when you do make a song or a film, like Cloud Atlas, for example, okay. like that, that film was <laughs> three directors, you know, it was three right, and a half right, hours right. long and it was it was a brilliant piece of art. From an artist's perspective. I don't know if it came together, scratching my head here. But yeah, yeah, but, right, but yeah. from just the average cinema viewer, me too, that's yeah. me too, I was really confused by that movie. Because <laughs> Wait, it was, Tom it Hanks, was so this guy out- or this guy? Yeah, right. It was so outside the reaches of the tr- traditional three-act play. It was right. so outside the, the reaches of just what A we, linear narrative, the, the right? linear yeah. narrative. Working in the same time. characters, yeah. working yeah. in the same timeline. So right. I think that's why it was valiant and why it was... in. Like um, a, a really aggressive, cool thing to do, yeah. pushing the limits. You know, something like the Wachowskis who have always pushed the limits. That's why I dig, dig at least the, the idea of it. Them trying to do them it. trying yeah. to do it, but it's like at the same time, it's not. It's it's something in function is not always the same as it is in thought. That's right. Yeah. You know, so I kind of like that that there is like kind of like a, a bedrock to proper cocktailing, yeah. just like there's a bedrock to to music to some degree or to film. You know? Yeah, that the holy trinity of like the mm-hmm. one three five and the mm-hmm. see, all right, this is perfect because I always felt like spirits in themselves. Now bourbon's a little bit different because you kind of just leave a lot to the elements, right? Sure. But gin, mm-hmm. gin is a chord, gin is a song. And so you mm-hmm. have to have that balance between back of palate, mid of palate, front of palate, mm-hmm. the light, the high end, the treble, the mid range, and the bass, dude. It is <laughs> so it's, true. It's that, that's a great, it's, great metaphor. Absolutely. Well, thanks, man. But that's yeah. that's the, always how it is. And so any spirit that I would taste or any mm-hmm. cocktail, so you so you go, you're at that base level, mm-hmm. and you have the spirit itself, and then you hop up at just a level, and then it's a cocktail. Sure. Three ingredients. Again, mm-hmm. a triumvirate, a holy trinity, and mm-hmm. these ingredients. So I'm not real surprised mm-hmm. that you started in a place of creativity and music. And you mentioned Cloud Atlas, which makes mm-hmm. me wonder... Either are you a heavy reader or are you a film guy? Both. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a screenwriter as well. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. I've written. Uh, I wrote one feature about four years ago. Something um, that I, as a guy, would have seen. 
Oh, uh, it, it actually didn't get made, oh, unfortunately. Man. That's that's something you realize I know it, yeah. when you jump into screenwriting. Um, I did get pretty far with it, though. I ended up doing a full reading of it with uh, 15 actors in New York. Amazing. Um, and did some workshopping with it. And then, unfortunately, I would say life got in the way more than more than the project itself. Right, yeah, but yeah. Um, it still, still exists. Uh, I'm working on a teleplay. I've been working on a teleplay uh, with one of my close friends in D.C. for that's the last amazing. year and a half. And it's, it's interesting because as much as I would... I mean, I did music full time for four or five years. Yeah. Um, I've never done film full time, but um, uh, my older brother actually produced a film or starred in, wrote a film. Really? Um, that I'm one of the producers on, and I actually acted in. It's called Nothing Happened. What? It, when? Um, uh, when did this come out? Or now this? It, come out? It, it debuted last summer. Okay. The National Black Theater Festival. Where in, is that uh, located? On uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina, actually in our my Where home you're city. you're from? Yeah, North, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we debuted it there and got some great feedback. And then it just was in the Maiden Manhattan Festival. Yeah. Or Ma- I'm sorry, Maiden New York Festival about a month and a half ago. Did well. And um, I just spoke to him yesterday. He's, he's entering in, in as many festivals That's as he amazing, can right now. Man. It's an it's a, uh, under 25-minute short yeah. um, about stop and frisk in New York City. And like actually, we actually started shooting it about five years ago. And it was kind of before the, the Black Lives Matter movement and right, before right, right. a lot of the things that it's highly relevant to now. Um, we were really just looking at why stop and frisk was an atrocious thing in New York right. City and so, as so, New Yorkers. So um, I'm a start. I'm a white know. dude in Austin. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm not experiencing that because sure. we're pretty sprawl anyway. It's not very metropolitan. Mm-hmm. There's metropolitan parts, but lots of suburbia. Mm-hmm. So is that the very the different concept? reality? Sure. Yeah. Well, my and my friend mm-hmm. lives deep in you know mm-hmm. deep in Bed-Stuy and mm-hmm. stuff. Where we do the right thing on some, which is amazing. <laughs> Great movie. Um, weird for me, but yeah. good to be be there. But. Sure. So it's basically like at any moment, any moment, cop can just be like, they can just stop. Yeah. You, and right? it's, well, it's since been made illegal. Okay, um, okay. When de Blasio became mayor, he made the practice illegal. Not to say it doesn't still happen to some right. degree. I guess my, you know, not to get political, this is just kind of something that I was passionate about. But yeah. I think it's morally wrong to stop someone slash arrest them right. based on how they look. Oh, Based ridiculous. on the, especially from the color Profi- of their skin. It's profiling, right? It's, yeah. And it was, well, if you were in Arizona, it, yeah, it, it wouldn't matter as much. If you're Muslim, then it really matters, right? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. So I just think it, um, I think it's lazy and I think it doesn't lend itself to good police work, nor does it lend itself to good community reaction to it. Yeah. Um, when we say that we're okay with these young men and women just literally being kidnapped off the street and taken. Yeah. Um, so to not tell you too much about what I think about that or what the movie's did, about. But you didn't have, um, did, did you have any kind of specific I personal interaction? I personally did not. Okay. However, um, the, the film is based on a true story um, of something that happened to my older brother. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, it's, to, to, like I said, to not yeah, give too yeah, much yeah. away. No, no spoilers. It's, it's, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a pretty compelling piece and it, it's very honest. Yeah. And I, I like to feel like it leaves a lot to the viewer. And it's really about creating a conversation than it is about being accusatory yeah. or saying that this is wrong or this is bad. Um, I think we, I think it's you leave that story. to the, yeah, like it's just a story of something that happened. And if yeah. that's, if that's what you think, that's your prerogative, but. Well, it's amazing. So yeah. what, what was your role? Um, I played, I played one of the characters in the cell. Yeah. Um, and then I became a producer later on in the project. Interesting. Um, brought in some editing help and brought in, uh, you know, as I work in brand marketing yeah. and such, um, I was able to like help with. The, f- the festival submissions amazing like yeah so, so that, it seems like that kind of came full circle from even from me sitting in my sweaty apartment in, in harlem and yeah, writing yeah. the film that i wrote um which was a totally different movie it was completely fiction it was a feature um totally different animal yeah but it prepared me to be helpful on other projects which i thought was cool 
So that was kind of like my my in between thing, I guess. Yeah, um, but it's not because it's all it all it all buds from the same root. I couldn't agree more. You and know? I think it I really think does. that creative spirit. Um, I guess just to tie it back into you know what what we were here to talk about too is is with spirits. Yeah. But like most of the people I know that are really you know you know revered bartenders slash you know people that have jumped into the brand ambassador world mm-hmm. or are just doing really interesting things with with culinary and cocktails. A lot of us have a highly artistic background, oh, yeah. meaning musician, dancer, Acting. model, actor. Um, the list goes on. Yeah. And you start picking these people's brains, and you find out they play the tuba, or that they, you know, are you talking about Charlotte. Yeah, I am. <laughs> actually, when I found that out, when you're like, talking no about actor, I, you're talking about then, Trevor, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's 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 just so interesting to me how all of these incredibly talented people, who many of us, myself included, got, I, I got into bartending to pay the bills. Yeah, and something changed, something turned for me, where it it wasn't just a job anymore and then that snowballed and then at some point i realized that all this creative energy that i have what if i turned it on this yeah and honestly you know from my experience in entertainment this was a much more viable career frankly um that's lucrative it's and lucrative and (laughs) fun how many screenwriters do you know that are not not really doing so (laughs) well how many screenwriters do i know that are getting flown to austin texas to talk to you (laughs) not not as many but like you know, I think part of it is is the balance. Yeah. And I don't ever want to give up. I don't ever want to just drive my creativity into one source. It's great. That's perfect. You know, because yeah. I always feel like there's some things that apply to something that don't apply to other things. And it doesn't mean exactly. the idea is bad. Yeah. It just means, hey, maybe that's not for this, but it will work for that. Right. Understanding know? relativity mm-hmm. between sounds Absolutely. makes you kind of think about relativity between ingredients. And then you Most start certain. thinking about movement. And people mm-hmm. and characters. What are Rhythm. their motivations? Yeah, absolutely. dude. Then you talk. You bring that into the the brand part, the marketing mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's like this perfect symbiosis between mm-hmm. all these facets of our creativity. Absolutely. And it, one, it's no fucking surprise <laughs> that there's so many actors and musicians right. and artists. Mm-hmm. It's just this is the place that we all. This is the bullpen, mm-hmm. right? Like this is where we yeah. all have come to be. To just it's like this beautiful wheelhouse. Yeah, and it's it it just makes sense and. I, I always looked at hospitality and entertainment as the same business, sure. which is now starting to be more of a, I don't know, accepted thought than it was yeah. Oh, yeah. a few years ago or 10 years ago, especially. But I always, the way I looked at it, it's like at the red carpet party at the Oscars, someone's serving cocktails, mm-hmm. you know, someone's playing music. Some, you know, there's always oh, some yeah. element where at the show there's drinks at, you know, at the cocktail thing, there's music playing. Like there's no way... They're inextricable. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like they're yeah. always going to be bound together in some way, shape, or form. And many, um, just like a lot of us that have that have backgrounds in those things that do this, there's a lot of people that do that that wow. have the same background as us. Isn't that crazy? You know how many top tier Hollywood actors and you know musicians? musicians. <laughs> yeah, played. Bruce Willis, Kevin Bay, like they were all Keanu Reeves. Bar. They were Johnny, all tending bar. Yeah, all on their guys. way to that. So I think that's a cool correlation. I think it's something to be celebrated. Yeah. Um, and I hope. This is my personal hope that in the future we celebrate and continue as as you know the the mixology and gastronomy and the food thing keeps growing. I hope that it is revered into the same space to some degree. Let's go back you know? to Jerry Thomas days, man. Okay, sure. It, no, I'm saying that yeah. it is like we are going that Absolutely. point. Absolutely, it mm-hmm. was for such a long time. To your point, mm-hmm. being a bartender, eh, it's like a substandard living. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Definitely not. Our interest, because, you, mm-hmm. and you know what I think it is, and mm-hmm. incorrect, this is my opinion, and I've thought about this ever since we started developing a product and making gin and all this. 
is that you can go anywhere in the world and hear the same song in any way you want. Mm-hmm. You can go anywhere in the world for the most part mm-hmm. to see any movie you want in whatever way you want. True. It kind of just it kind of caters to you. Mm-hmm. But you cannot go to any place in the world and get a meal that is unique mm-hmm. and in tune with the cultures that you're visiting, right? Sure. Or a drink. Mm-hmm. It's the last vestige of art. Of authenticity. And authenticity, authenticity and art. Sure. I agree. Yeah. And it's something that is not forever, meaning you I consume know. your art, which I think to some degree, um, I always like to think of it. Have you ever seen, I don't know the exact word for it, but like uh, the Buddhist sand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Scrapings. Yeah, the there's, well, uh, there's a House of Cards episode. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's where we all know it from, right? <laughs> um, but. I, that always intrigued me is the concept of creating something so beautiful, knowing that you're yeah. going to wipe it away, spending all that time right. and effort. But that's the beauty in it. That's like almost what they took solace in yeah. is that it's 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 not infinite, that it's, in, it, you know, it could be gone. In did you age, see uh, you know? The Life of Walter Mitty? I did. So remember yeah, where he, the whole the whole movie, no mm-hmm. spoiler, what is spoiler, who cares, mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. So we all, the whole point is to find Sean Penn. Sure. I mean, that's my whole personal goal too, to find Sean Penn. <laughs> where is he? <laughs> Where is that guy? <laughs> so he's there. Camera is set up. Mm-hmm. It's the snow leopard or snow tiger. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Just it, it, so much reverie. It's in, in its natural place. And he's got his camera set up. Mm-hmm. He could take a picture anytime he wanted. But he wants to just remember that moment. Right. It's the same just for him. Just yeah. for him. Totally. And that's, you're, you know, I never it's thought invaluable. about it. It is yeah. totally invaluable. Mm-hmm. And there's no picture that can capture Sure. How wonderful a cocktail tastes, mm-hmm. or how wonderful and smoky and crowded and just the smells that atmosphere. Of, yeah, of only. getting like a bite Absolutely. of food, you know, in, in a dank place or a beautiful mm-hmm. place, like mm-hmm. all of it. So that's it. Like that's kind of what we still read books for. And I think, I think that even kind of takes me to something that's been present on my mind is that you know we're in the selfie culture now, and not to no. go too deep into that no, because no. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dump on i'm not going to say that it's bad it is what it is it's it's the reality of what's happening right now the concept of that though takes from that same thing because you can't capture that like you know it's as hard as you try and as many filters as you put on it and nothing can replicate nothing replicates the moment of being there and that's something that i love to just take for myself sometimes and that's hard because a a big part of what i do is to express to other people and and communicate with them and make sure that they're following my journey or not make sure but allow them to follow my journey and and give them some kind of guide and some of the beautiful stuff that I'm seeing. And I've I've tried to do that and I, I'm going to continue to refine and still do that. Yeah. But the hardest part for me is always stopping to take the picture because to some degree stopping to acknowledge the moment. It's disparate. Man. Yeah, it you just know? it makes it fade a yeah, bit. So it does. part of me just wants to hire a photographer just to follow me around. See, then that's fine because then that's their gig, right? Yeah, right. You want an internship then, with William Grant's exactly. son? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Call me now. Um, but yeah, that's that's like to some degree, I think it would be really cool because I, I see so much cool stuff and I wish I could capture. Hell, I wish I had the eye that I think I have yeah, like when yeah. I take the picture. And well, that's why you're a screener, out. not a cinematographer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's why I'm not behind the camera. But, um I don't know. It's it's something that I, I I'm a bit weary of because I I feel like we're in such a time of enjoyment and excitement. Yeah. So many unusual, cool things are happening in the world that if we're too focused on re- reporting into the rest of the world what we've seen and done, we've disconnected ourselves from the greater experience. yeah to the experience. The experience itself, like like for me coming here, it's like you know I because I because of weather issues, unfortunately, yeah. like my last trip to Austin got canceled and rain or shine, I was like I'm coming. 
because yeah. I want that experience. So specifically, you know, this city is very, very special to me. Um, when I took over this region, I was really lucky when I actually looked at what cities were in it because yeah. some of the best music cities in the world, <laughs> not just in America. Well, so name a couple. For Austin, me. St. Louis, Chicago, oh, Detroit. La, um, you got Lala, ACL, mm -hmm. yeah. New Orleans, Jazz. New Orleans, and Nashville. Oh my god. And that's just to name a few. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like that's when I really like looked at it. And these a lot of these places weren't weren't places in the country. I was born on the West Coast. I grew up on the East Coast, lived yeah. in New York for the last five, six years. I hadn't traveled to the middle or the bottom of the country yeah. yet. I'd spent very little time in Texas, very little time in the Midwest. And so that's like where I've spent most of my time for the last year. And it's been phenomenal. That's like amazing. absolutely amazing. Um, I feel like there's so many people that are so eager to travel outside of the U.S., yeah. myself included. I love traveling. No, it's great, but there's a but lot there's to be so discovered much to be here. seen here. Yeah. Um, and part of me just wishes that it was more popular to travel um, across our nation yeah. as it is like in Europe, for example, or even South oh, America, sure. where it's just like you just hop on a train, a bus, or a plane, and yeah. you go to this other place. Here, we like don't travel unless we have a reason to be there. Yeah. You know, It's like we don't go just to see the city. We'll go because, oh, I have a friend in that city yeah. or there's an event. Well, we're, we're xenophobic you know? in a sense. We're not real excited to go into things that are a little bit unfamiliar. You're like, ooh, that's that's not mine. No. So, <laughs> Milwaukee? <you know? laughs> Speaking of, Milwaukee, one, no, of my one of my favorite cities, man. People I mean, from there are killer. Such nice people, nominal music scene, great bar and cocktail scene. Mm -hmm. And it's just like I the last uh, – or maybe two events ago I did there, it was a, with um, a group of makers. They, they were self-identified as makers. Oh, nice. And they had a maker space where they all collaborate and just literally build shit. Wow. And it was so cool, man, like just to meet these people. They were from all ages, all yeah. races, and they came to one of my cocktail classes because that was a perfect fit for their group. Sure. They were like, we're going to yeah. make cocktails today. We're going to make we're make something. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, you know, there was everything from like metal workers to woodworkers to sculptors and I just think that's so cool, and you you never if you don't know much about a city, you wouldn't know. No, you just wouldn't know that. that but that's stuff how like that I mean. That's there. how we're equipped. So, mm -hmm. all right. So there there seems to be this interesting and striking narrative. Mm -hmm. So you saying you were born in the West Coast? Yeah, Los or, Angeles. Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. What a what were how long were you in Los Angeles? I moved to North Carolina when I was five. Five. Okay. Yeah. So, Formative, but not that formative. To some degree. So to give you full full disclosure, yeah, yeah. Um, from a very very large extended family okay um my mother's from a family of 13 my wow. father's from a family of seven wow um they all have at least one child so i'm okay. i have, where, where are the where are your folks from uh they're from los angeles okay um okay. and the major almost our entire whole family is still in la no um, my parents were one of the only families to actually leave la um so i spent a lot of my childhood going back yeah visiting holidays and you know things like that so i always had a very deep connection to southern california yeah but because I was the youngest, my brother's six years older than me, so he had a just different one experience. Brother? Yeah, just one older brother. Um, he had a different experience. You know, he spent probably half his childhood in L.A. and half in North Carolina, whereas I actually did all my schooling in North Carolina. Yeah. I ended up going to college Five's there. a good year to go because you yeah. get some stuff. I started school there, basically. Exactly, you know? yeah. Um, what, what brought your folks to North Carolina? Um, my father's a professor, actually. He's a history professor. No that's, shit. That's where I get it from, I suppose. Uh, where did he teach? Wake Forest, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, and my mother actually um, uh, does the business internships for the business school. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So was he teaching in L.A. as well? Uh, yeah, he was. He, he was at UCLA and I believe he was at UC San Diego for a while. That's brilliant. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, what kind of stuff? Just because I'm professor's um, really intrigued. Sure. But what um, was his, his specialty is um, 
slavery, actually. Really? He wrote a book called Foul Means um, that came out, I guess this is about 10 years ago now. Wow. Um, he has a couple of books out now, um, but he specialized in um, transatlantic slavery, colonialism. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Is, yeah. Having like a very <coughs> having a father that's very, very intelligent mm-hmm. and has a, a focus and kind of like a cause in a sense. Mm-hmm. Now, or, or at least it's enlightening others on this particular thing. And he sure, sure. Like, does it make your position in the world something that's very inclusive or does it feel like man people are kind of against us as a culture i like to say i've i was very lucky to get a very honest take yeah on the world young um i got to visit africa for the first time when i was six wow um i start that was the first travels international travel where we're in africa oh uh, we went to senegal Jesus. Yeah, okay. yeah. Wow. Um, it was for my dad's work. He took the whole family, and that was my first experience with real culture shock. Yeah, yeah. And being in that. So I, I was very lucky to have the, the full breadth of the perspective. Yeah. And the cool part about it is even when given this information, a lot of times it was over the dinner table. It wasn't something that was... It was like dogmatic. Yeah, it's it wasn't something that fact, was like right? forced on me. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I mean, to this day, I, I have a... I'm I'm lucky enough to have a very good relationship with my folks and yeah. and when we talk sometimes we'll pick each other's brains about whatever, you know, and yeah. sometimes it's something where I have a question, sometimes it's something now that I'm an adult where they have a question that I can answer, which is really cool. That's crazy, yeah. Um and even now with where my career's gone, I feel like, you know, after graduating from one of the most expensive private schools <laughs> in the South, uh, me deciding to become a bartender yeah. in New York ah, didn't exactly yes. strike them as, you know, the best <laughs> career thing to do. But um, they always supported it and they yeah. were always just like, Hey, if that's what makes you happy, you know, we trust, we trust you and we think you're going to do great. Yeah. Um, and I think when they saw me kind of make this turn in my career and being able to apply education and history right. and writing and creativity and perfect you know, platform, right? Yeah. It actually really little did I know this is something I've been training for, for 10 years. It is a professorship. Absolutely. And funny you should mention that so i would this is something for my like next 20 year goal uh-huh, uh-huh. but um i would like to to i know that there's hospitality degrees now mm. um at a lot of you know i know johnson and wales or not johnson and wales but um cornell has one mm-hmm. some of the schools actually have really good culinary like four-year degrees really and i'm just wondering who's going to be the first doctorate of mixology uh, you know because the way i, I see it. mixology mixology would probably be multiple uh, disciplines combined, so it have to be oh, it'd have chemistry to be. for sure. sure. Oh yeah, um, it would have the to hospitality be part, right? hospitality, yeah. and then probably some sort of history slash. You know, you can't even leave out like accounting slash like marketing. You know, it's like there's there's it so many aspects degree, yeah. that go into it that I wonder if any. And this is for you all universities listening. If any university, <laughs> there would are be no universities listening. <laughs> exactly, uh, but if, if if I always wondered if there would be any universities that would even entertain something like. Because well, absolutely, I think you know. They I, th- I think it would be a yeah. brilliant course of study. I mean, just historically, I know you can get a history degree specializing in something like right, that. right. So it's like, how far would you have to take that to get a degree? Well, it's just layering or a, a chemistry and a hospita- hospitality degree over everything mm-hmm. else that's an MBA. Frankly, right. it really is operational right. marketing, totally. accounting, all of it, economy, mm-hmm. economy or sorry. And I guess, I guess, like the, the 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 backside of that is that this is one of the few industries that you have to do it with your hand. Yeah. Um, no matter how much how many books you read, and I've met some I've met some cocktail nerds that know a hell of a lot about cocktails, but can't, can't shake one. a drink. And it's just like, not to say that they never can, 
but it's something that you physically learn yeah. doing it. I think that so, comes from the heart. Like, yeah. there's there's the cerebral part of this industry in which you're like kind of creating and thinking, mm-hmm. but there's also the guttural and the passion part mm. where it's like, yeah, you can. You're making a drink. I mm. taste the drink you're making. Sure. Yeah, the the build's good, but then mm. a drink that comes from someone who's feeling it, that's a different deal. It changes. Totally, it totally. Changes. So you bring me to another thing that I love to talk about. Yeah, I, I'm blanking. I'm sure I could look it up. But um, there was there was a scientist, and I've done some more back research, and there's some scientists yeah. that say that this is a refuted thing, and it might not stand. Uh-huh. But basically, there was a guy that did a study on the effects of human intention. Okay. And vocalized intention on water molecules. And basically, he took three jars. Uh-huh. He filled them with cooked rice. And same rice, same water, sure, same sure. jars. Uh, static and, variable. Right? Yep, yeah. Yep. Their control their, variable. Yeah, that's sorry. their control, right? And so uh, I think it was for 30 days. To the first jar, he said, I love you. To the middle jar, he said, nothing. And to the third jar, he said, I hate you. And he meant it. You know, you got to mean yeah, it. Yeah, well, stupid rice. You got to mean it. <laughs> so um, after 30 days, the first jar was crystal clear. Still looked the same as day one. Middle jar was very murky. Right, right. And then the third jar that he said, I hate you too, was black and rotting. Oh, my God. And he surmised from this, and I'm sure he ran many, many other tests. Right, right. I'm kind of summarizing this. But, like, I always took that to say we're mostly water. Yeah. As people, um, obviously, my medium is is liquid. Yeah. Um, And why people tell me, like, why are your drinks? Like, your drinks are so good. Like, why do I like your drinks so much? I'm like, because I love what I do. And I literally, when I make my cocktails... I put love into that. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, I mean it. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's really weird. T- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really weird tangent. But did you see mm-hmm. Ghostbusters too? Yeah. Where they're yelling at that sludge. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. It's the same concept. If they love that sludge, that sludge would have done anything. Yeah, that sludge them. might have like set everything off, That's you know, right. started like, replanting the parks. But it kept like sucking in it's the true. negativity of it's New true. York and then it starts rotting the city from it's the, true. underneath. And, and that whole intention, like I love that you use the term like that guttural yeah. thing. Like it's there's something about that passion and that intention and that fierceness that can really impart something. You know, whatever it is, somehow it, that translates to good flavor it absolutely it does is, you, you know? talk about the beatles you talk about Katy perry mm-hmm. which one's going to make you cry mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and it's not because the the production is that different even though mm-hmm. it is different but <laughs> it's about the people and the, the sure. purpose and what the they're putting intent. into it and what yeah. yeah what the intent was why behind are it? they doing it because mm-hmm. they have to do yeah. it not because they're paying mm-hmm. being paid to do it you know mm-hmm. all right Whew. Good. That's real good. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in New, you're in uh, North Carolina. You're five. Your mm-hmm. father's teaching history mm-hmm. with a focus on slavery out of Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Your mom's you saying uh, in charge of the business. Yeah, and and before that, um, that's something she's she just started doing about four or five years ago. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, where I get my entrepreneurial spirit is yeah. from my mom. What's she do? Um, she um used to work in corporate America. She yeah. worked for for a number of different companies, and when we moved to North Carolina. She um, started her own company. It was a computer supply company called oh, Niche man. Computer Supply. What year are we talking? This is 1991. Perfect time to get into computers. At right. That point. Yeah, I yeah. think it's like 91 or 92. Um, there was a time when Wachovia Bank was still Wachovia Bank, yeah, yeah. where every ATM in North Carolina that printed was using our ink. No kidding. Um, this is something that she built from scratch. And actually, when I was 16, she hired me to work for her, you know, one summer. Perfect. And... Uh, Little did I know it, she was actually going to throw me into the fire. We actually talked about this the other day. No she kidding. Up. But yeah, I, I got to meet the CEO of Wachovia Bank when I was 16. Uh, were, and did you care? I pitched to him. Like, I pitched. You like, pitched to yeah, him? Yeah, I got the sale. At 16? Yeah. Oh and um, that's where, like, I, I think I got rid of all my stage fright. And I got yeah. rid of, you know, I, I kind of gained the confidence to 
to stand in a room with whoever. 16. 16. 16 that's a good yeah. age to do it. Yeah, and, and it was so interesting. I got to meet um Herman Boone, the guy that the uh, that Remember the Titans was about. No He kidding. spoke at a conference we were at. And, like, really? It was all these little strange scenarios. Where I got to meet some really special, high power, like amazing people. Yeah. Um, and she put me out there. She was like, and I asked her about it. I was like, what made you think that was why, a good yeah, idea? Why is that okay? <laughs> and she was like, you you speak well, and you. I just trusted you. Like, you seem like you were ready, so I, I trusted you to go out and, that's amazing. and do it. And so that's something I really take from her. Yeah. Is, um, you know, I started five, six businesses before I was 30. Um, you know, it's like, it's something that's always been important to me. Is to what, be like, what's, uh, besides the, the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. spirit, like in middle school or high school, what were the mm-hmm. things that kind of interested you? Were you a math sports. guy? Sports. A sports guy. What I mean, I guess I was a school guy too. Yeah. Definitely reading and writing were my strong points. Um, but yeah, sports, I played, I played four sports until I was about 14 or 15. Really? And then I focused on baseball through college and I played no baseball. Shit. That is a weird parallel between you and Trevor as well. Me and him found that out the, the first time so we got to know insane. each other. Yeah, we what'd both. What did you play? I was an outfielder, center field. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, leadoff hitter, center fielder. And so you're yeah. so, all right. So I'm trying to like this is all percolating into a brilliant mm-hmm. narrative. That, like, <laughs> this is like sprouts. Like, Maybe it finally makes sense to me because I've been trying to figure out why I did all this stuff already. So the hospitality <laughs> yeah. thing I, I don't get yet, but mm-hmm. I do get the professor type stuff. Mm-hmm. But so okay, so cool. We we've got someone that's good at school, mm-hmm. focusing on baseball. You. You absolutely wanted to do the college thing. I mean, your dad's mm-hmm. in academia. You probably it, feel pretty influenced, right? It wasn't even an option to not do it. I figured, yeah. Though it wasn't said that way, it just never. It's it was always right? it was like, it was very implicit. Yeah, that it's I was like go to school. Yeah, just a look. Yeah, a look. <laughs> like, a look will Oh yeah, gap year, huh? It's like no, it's like that's not happening. But um, so did you? So I'm not going to yeah. assume, but did you? Sure. You end up going to Wake Forest as well. Um, I did. I transferred to Wake, actually. I went to Guilford College, a small Quaker college really? um, in Greensboro, North Carolina for, for my first two years. I got to ask, uh-huh. are you Quaker? I'm not. No. Okay. Um, okay. Um, the reason I ended up there, I got a full academic scholarship wow. to that school. Um, it was a really good liberal arts college yeah. that had some some really interesting programming. And um, yeah, I, at the time, I had some chances to go back out west. I, I was getting recruited by some good schools, but something about getting an academic scholarship it's different, right? It was you different. don't just like me for my looks, you like me for my brain. The brain. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that was something that that really enticed me into it. Yeah. Um also that I was going to get an opportunity to play early and that if I wanted to make a change I could. Very cool. Um and that's that's how I ended up there and actually met met some of my best friends there. Yeah. Uh, it's the place where I started recording music. Really? What um, was your focus like going um, into my, undergrad and stuff? You know, <laughs> I think that was the problem at that oh, college. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that's why I ended up transferring, frankly. But I was studying uh, business. I was and I was thinking business and history. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking pre-law. Okay. Um, early on, that was kind of the plan. I always thought I was going to go to law school for sure. whatever reason. Um, but as time went on, I just developed other interests. You know, and like that was kind of the cool part of it, doing the liberal arts education. You just you're like imbibing all of it, right? Like it just all. Rushing. I just want to do everything, and yeah. that's the type of person I am. Like I really like multiplicity i like doing yeah. different stuff at the same time where, where, did, where did music kind of knock on your door so music started um with my roommates so four of us lived together we all were on the baseball team one was actually one of my close friends from high school okay uh, my friend mike machete um still friends yeah one of my best friends awesome. yeah he lives in boston now um and it, he and i still work on music together on the low actually but um yeah so mike was my roommate and we used to all all four of us used to play video games that was like our thing we'd get out of practice and we'd hang, maybe have a beer, and we'd play a bunch of video games right. and kill time. And he had just gotten Acid Pro. I, 
Oh, dude, acid I remember three? Sonic Foundry acid. Yeah, Pro this is like three. Three. Oh my god, those um, loops are horrible. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> so, so, so he had just gotten acid. He had an old Dell computer, yeah, you know, desktop. Yeah. We had no interface. Yep. And he was like, I want to make music. You know, he's like, I'm going to make beats. And he was like, I used to freestyle all the time. So uh -huh. He was like, I want you to freestyle like over a beat or whatever. That's how it started. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of liked it. You know, it was, it was a fun, fun process yeah. and we got to spend time together. It was cool. And then he was like, well, I'm going to make a beat beat and I want you to write a song to it. And at that point in my life, I'd never written anything down. Had you played music. instruments um, before? I grew up playing the drums a little bit. Okay. But, um, but most never got good, you know, right? like never got good. Played a little bit of harmonica. Yeah. I can look at a guitar. <laughs> I can't really do much with it. But uh, six words, strings, that's words, right. Six yeah, strings. words were always my thing. Got so it. like like poetry, hip hop, freestyling, yeah. and songwriting, a little bit of singing was always like kind of my my expression space. Um, so I ended up writing a song with him, and I mean by my standards now it wasn't much. Sure, but, but like, it's a good starting time, point, right? At the time, we realized that there was something there, and we realized that hell, if we keep doing this, I think we could be good at this, you know, and. That was when I traded in video games for music. It was a, it was a conscious decision because right. it was like that was our thing that we used to do with our free time. And me and him decided to stop doing that and yeah. only work on music during that time. And um, by the end of that year, we had produced like a really rudimentary album. You know, we really? cut a record in that dorm room. Yeah, we cut a record in our apartment on campus. Did you go back and listen to it? I've listened to it a few times. Yeah, it's it's yeah. one of those records where like content wise could have been better. Yeah. Um, but the heart was there, and yeah. it was the beginning of the rest of my music career, frankly. Um, that same crew of people ended up making my next project, which was Second Revolution, which was the project that kind of took off. Okay. Um, and that and this was, is still at the college? Yeah. The well, this was, this was based on the whole state of North Carolina. At this oh, wow. So you because, expanded out. Yeah. The, there was three of us at Guilford, and then there was um, t my, my best friend. His younger brother went to Appalachian State, which is about an hour and a half away. Okay. Um, we grew up together. We used to always just jam out and work on stuff together. And when my group kind of started to dissolve, I was leaving Greensboro. Um, I was moving back to Winston. You know, I was, I was making some changes. Mm -hmm. That group started to dissolve. And then kind of I took my producer from that group. And then I was working on a solo project. Drove up to Boone. Um, and my boy Kevin, or we call him Bo Cephas, okay. was working on a solo project as well. And his brother was producing both mm. of them. So it was like, word, let's just record. Like, I have this song. You have this song. Um, we, we laid down both the singles and then I had like another verse and I was like, I just want to put it on. I really like this beat. And I recorded it and I liked it. And I was like, yeah, do you have something for this? Like, that's all I got. And he was like, I think I got a hook for this. And he like laid down the hook and I was like, well, you got, I love the hook. You got to put a, a vocal verse hook or like a, um, like a rap, like a hip hop. Got it. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> the song was called writing on the wall actually. And, uh, he ended up laying down a verse and a hook on it. And we listened to all three tracks and we loved them. But then there was something about the one we did together. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's different, man. Like, that's different good, that. different bad. Different good. Okay. And uh, we decided we were going to work on a project together. And it was only supposed to be one album. And about four years and 50-something songs later and all these tours and like, you know, it just no shit. it just turned into something. What was the moniker of that project? Uh, it was called Second Revolution. Oh, Second Revolution. And the right. album was called Time is of the Essence. Interesting. Um, it ended up being a 20-track album. That we really? Yeah. You get label interest out of L.A. and stuff? I'm sorry? Did you guys get to have label interest out of L.A. and New York and we, stuff? We did, but we, it wasn't what we were seeking. And it, I, almost foolishly a bit, now that I'm a bit older and I yeah. understand how things work, we were, and if you listen to the music, we were very anti-establishment. We were very much about being underground. Doing, doing it yourself, ourselves, right? yeah. and, and just touring on our own. That was kind of what we really like took pride in is that we, I, I booked the majority of our shows wow. myself. 
Um, we did everything in hand. We bought all of our own equipment, like everything we did ourselves. Yeah. Um, which I think was awesome, but also hampered us a bit in growing. It's later good to on. a point, yeah. Exactly. And then you want someone point, else to do it. It's not man. about selling out. It's just like you know, either this is going to be your career and your job, or right. it's, it's going to just be some shit you do on the side. You bring it back to business. It's about scaling. Exactly. Yes, you can operate with three people, but to make it 10 times larger, you need two more people. Exactly. Right. You just have to do it. Exactly. But it's a weird thing to kind of give up in a sense and say, yeah. no, I've got control now. Sure. Right. But like, just have to give up a little bit. Right. And then you can expand. It's tough. And it's it such is. a tough thing to even budge. Totally. Um, but we did. We were lucky enough to get to tour in uh, Europe. We, we got really? to go to Spain for six weeks. Did right you guys, were you doing tours with anybody that is still around? Like, uh, um, it was, we did it all on our own. Um, I had studied abroad in Salamanca two years before that and kind of had made a name for myself as a rapper and a DJ there wow. and had some great friends that ended up owning clubs two years later. Perfect. I was just calling my buddy to see if we could crash when we were coming through Spain. It was supposed to be a, a larger tour mm -hmm. and he had just bought a club and he was like, how about you come stay with me for six weeks and... How, how old are you? About we were. I was like twenty three. God. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was a cool time, man. It was a cool time. That's but, really cool. Um. And, and had you transferred to Wake Forest yet? I just graduated when we went back. You so, just graduated. Oh, so perfect. Full man. disclosure. I guess uh, transferred to Wake when I went abroad. Uh -huh. Like I went abroad through one of their programs. Oh, I see. The following okay. semester, finished there, and then went back. Amazing. So it was. It was. I don't even know how to describe it. I couldn't have planned it. It just. Yeah. It's how everything unfolded and happened. Um, during that time, we had started a um, uh, thing called the United Mind Conglomerate. It was mm -hmm. a nonprofit artist network in our hometown that ran for about a year. Um, you know, we were doing whatever we could to like really like support and build our scene because where I'm from in North Carolina, where I grew up, Winston Salem. Anyone listening in Winston Salem knows what I'm talking about. Some of the most talented people you'll ever meet in your life. Yeah, M musically, filmmakers. I mean, especially sure. musicians, though. And can actors. They, can they get out of there though? Not as many as I want. I yeah. literally went and pulled three of them out and moved them to New York while I was in New York. Like, you know what I mean? Friends of mine that they were wow. like, I'm trying to get out. And I was like, come, stay, yeah, crash on my yeah. couch. I'll just give you a job recommendation, place. whatever. Right, right. Um, and it's not because where we're from is bad. Where we're from is great. But there's no industry for that. Sure, sure. If you're in the tobacco. medical industry, the tobacco industry, the banking industry, yeah. golden. You know, but if you're trying to be a musician, there's space for you. Yeah. And there's cities that, you know, a city like Asheville has really been a fostering city to the artists of North Carolina. Um, even Charlotte, which is one of the major cities in Raleigh, yeah. they're bigger. So they give you a lot more opportunities to at least somehow keep your head above water. In a larger stage. But it's, it's not yeah. like in a New York and L.A. or in Austin, for example, where right. there's like flat music industry here or Nashville where, yeah. you know, BMI's headquarters is. You know, it's very different um, in what options are there. Well, so, so okay. you know. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. why Austin's kind of grown to be such a nice place. Because people look place. at it as like almost a musician's mecca. That's right, know? right. Yeah. Even if the, even if that's a little bit disparate from what's actually <laughs> happening. We can say that from outside. Yes, least, right, you know? yeah, yeah. Right, right. So how did this thing unfold? How did it fall apart? Now, mm -hmm. not in a negative way. But sure, sure. So, you know, you say you're moving to New York. Mm -hmm. You guys are starting this kind of conglomeration, like uh, mm -hmm. promulgating artists and all this mm -hmm. stuff. What happened? It all happened over time. It wasn't a rapid thing. Yeah. It happened over about two years, I would say. But frankly, we went so hard on touring without having any idea of how to do that. We made it up as we went along. Yeah. And we did a really good job with it. But we did, I think I counted the last year we were in business, we did something like 175 shows. Wow. We were just That's going. Insane, we were just any, Anyone that wanted to book us and met our right. guarantee, I would pick up and we would go, um, which was cool. But we burnt out. 
Yeah. You know, I think that's what it really came down to. That six weeks in Spain, we ran out of money. We jacked, we burnt our turntables out. <laughs> we fried our turntables <laughs> on the oh, electricity. Shit. I mean, yeah. anything that could have gone wrong did. Went and it wrong. still was a great trip. But by the end of it, um, I think we were just really drained. We were really out of it. Yeah. And we were working on a sophomore piece. Um, and I think we really, what we really needed was some time apart. And it just got to a point where I think all of us wanted something different at that point. I so. See. Basically, we all wanted to leave where we were, but I wanted to move to New York. Um, Why New York? Our, not, that, not that there's like, question. you know what I mean? Like, um, there's got to be some input. My older right? brother had been there. Um, okay. He's been there for about 15 years now. So I've been visiting New York since what's I was it, what's he do in New York? a kid. He's, a, he's an actor and a teacher. Oh, actually. cool. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, he works for um, a program called the Leadership Program that does really, really interesting arts-based like, stuff for the New York City schools. Yeah. And um, wow. then he, then he what, uh, what does part of New York is he living acting in? and art on the side. I'm which sorry? which uh he's in Harlem. Harlem, yeah, cool. that's where I live too. Very cool. Um so I'd been going there for a long time and I had a deep connection to that city, I think yeah. is is what drew me there. Um our other MC ended up in Seattle for a little while. Seattle, huh? Mm-hmm. He just had a same thing. It was yeah. just like some weird draw some affinity to it. It's yeah. wearing hoodies and in then, the rain, uh, frankly. I think that's <laughs> what it is. Like that, right? He loves coffee too. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um and then um our producer ended up in LA where he still is, and he's uh, actually out there scoring films now. Films and, and TV. So it ended up being this mm-hmm. very amicable dissolution. Of the, we the decided that um, we got to the point where we, we were either going to lose our band or we were going to lose our friendship. Yeah. And these are people I grew up with, people I care about. Um, and I'm glad to say we kept our friendship over it. You yeah. know what I mean? It was it was a conscious decision to do that and not an easy one. Right. But I think it was absolutely the right decision to maintain what actually matters, which is the relationship. Yeah, that's all that matters. You know? I mean, when you're 60 years old, you're not going to think about the dollars you made with the band, right? It's the truth. We're still hanging out. Yeah, know, and I mean, I, I stood in his wedding last See? year. See? Really? You know? Amazing. Such a proud moment and a yeah. beautiful moment. It was the first time all of us had been together in five years. Oh, that's you know? amazing. And so it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I've always been someone that thinks about life as fluid. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a straight line. Nothing's a straight sure. line, you know? So it's like sometimes when things happen, you think it's the worst damn thing that ever happened to you, and it ends up possibly being your greatest the moment best. of growth. Yeah, you know the best thing that could have ever happened, whether you see it right then or not. Yeah. You know? So, was it? Did you have this feeling as you're kind of moving to New York and Harlem specifically that mm. this new chapter was dawning? That, yes. That things were changing, and that you were. Ready? I I was ready for a big change. Yeah. For me, I tried to stay in North Carolina, and and not for nothing, you know, like. I really Did your parents to, want you to stay there? I think they had mixed feelings about it. I yeah. think they liked me having me around, but I think they thought that you just was, didn't clean was, your cereal bowls. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I was, I was terrible at that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think they like having me around, but I think they 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 thought that I wanted to chase something elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to stay and build. That was my initial thing after college. The economy was really really bad. I graduated in two thousand and nine. Yeah, the economy was bad. It was it just wasn't a good time to enter the job market. And so I looked at it as a thing. That's why I started those businesses. Is like I want to build here. So I'm going to be here. And a lot of us, a lot of my friends had moved back after yeah. college because they just didn't have anywhere to go. You know, there just weren't the same options. We did some cool stuff, and that's why we were able to create something. And it worked out for about a year. Yeah. But then the city started bucking back on us, and really there just wasn't enough support for it. And not because the city isn't a good city. It's just they weren't. They didn't see art the same way we did as the younger generation. They were much more comfortable with crafts and cover bands right. than hip hop, <laughs> you know, which was art, our right? Space, which you know? feels so submersive, mm-hmm. rather subversive, even even though it's like a part of main 
sure. in culture, you know. Sure. But but yeah. only in larger metropolitan areas. Exactly. You know? And so when you and, and even there it's it's huge. I mean hip hop's huge in the South, yeah. but it's it there's a connotation. So like for example, when we used to book, if I said, Hey man, I have this great hip hop group, you know, out of blah 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 and like they bring a great crowd, you know, beautiful people, really respectful, awesome, mm-hmm. not getting booked. But I'm like, hey, I'm in this neo soul hip hop funk fusion band. <laughs> you know, like they booked me out the gate. Yeah. And we still show up and do the same damn set. But I, that's what I realized is I was like, I had to present it as not what it was right. to make it applicable, which I thought wasn't really right. You know, because if we were in New York or LA or here, or, it wouldn't have mattered. It just wouldn't have mattered. It's yeah. like, well, this is our music. This is our expression. Did you go to New York thinking that you were going to pursue music still? Okay. I actually quit music when I moved to New York. I'm weird like that. Was it, well, was it at least like a It was nice in the back thing? of my mind. Yeah. No, or was I mean, it like, just like, no, I'm st- done with this chapter. I got to move no, on. No, I still, I still write every day. Yeah. Um, but I stopped wanting to pursue it in a public way. I see. Because of the pressure that it kind of put. You know what I mean? It, it just puts a lot of pressure. It, I'm someone that puts pressure on myself sometimes yeah. too. Well, you can't um, keep getting better unless you do that. It's true. You know? Um, and for me, I think it was at first it was hard because we had started out with not a plan to do that. And then we did so much together that I think it was hard for me to do it on my own at first yeah. or to even want to because of, of what it had grown to represent to me. Um, and then I ended up working on a few projects. My, my older brother's a musician as well. And like me and him worked on a few projects and, here and there. I would, I would like work on stuff here or there. Somebody needed something like some writing or something. Yeah. I like to keep myself involved, but I didn't want it to be about me anymore. Um, there's something intrinsic about being a rapper where there's a lot of me and a lot of I and a lot That's of ego. True. Yeah. Even if you're not like that in your real life. Yeah. And um, it's a stage persona, right? Right. And it's not something that has to exist, but it's kind of the nature of the beast to some degree. And I, that's something I wanted to step away from. Um, and now that I'm, I still make music, you know, and like, I actually have been working on a few projects now. It's about my voice as an instrument, as yeah. opposed to my voice as the front point of this is this rapper's album. Part of the orchestration exactly. instead of like the thing, and, the only thing you're hinging on. That made yeah. me kind of come back to it because yeah. I didn't want it to be about me, honestly. So I wonder yeah. then, I'm, okay, all right, I think we're going to get, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see how the connection was made. So okay. you're, you're on a stage, you know how to perform, you know mm-hmm. how to articulate your thoughts. But you're saying, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to be the front man anymore. Maybe I, I want leading. Right. But it's sure. like, I, I just don't need it to be about me. Right. You know? Maybe then it becomes, <laughs> I would like to serve the public. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that is that maybe the transition mm-hmm. into hospitality? Hospitality? Or, yeah. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. But that that's a great point. Maybe. Because yeah. it sounds like you're like, I know I can do it. I know right. I can get a whole room rallying behind it, my mm-hmm. every word, or mm-hmm. you know, hanging on to my words. So know? what if it's not just about me? Maybe I'm not, not the what only if reason you're here. Yeah. You what know? if it's about you? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's maybe. I I don't know. I agree, but I think that's I I totally agree actually because that's something that makes me really happy is making people happy, and I think right. that's something that a lot of bartenders share because it's and a it, lot of musicians share. Frankly, they totally yeah. do, and, mm-hmm. and they're you know it depends. What it kind depends of, on which what, ones, which dude in the bar, <laughs> the band it is, right? The drummer doesn't. <laughs> He's just out there, like you guys He's like. like I'm this? out here just yeah. He's like right. I'm just out here keeping time, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what was that transition like? What was your first gig? I'm sure it mm. was maybe as a waiter or whatnot, but like that first gig behind the bar, what was that like? It was hard to get. Um, so I started bartending in North Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I started working at a small hotel that had very, very few guests. Yeah. And it was probably the most important bartending job I've ever had. It was, was my first real bartending j- okay. job. 
Um, my manager, this guy Mark, um, he and I became fast friends. He had some great bartending experience, but he was the general manager. Mm-hmm. And he hired me, he just liked my personality. And he was like, hey man, like I know you don't know how to bartend, but I'm gonna teach you a few things. Yeah. And the place was really, really slow. So I had my little bar book and my I had some, uh, some index cards. And I basically, from scratch, made my cocktail list. Yeah, okay. You know, the basics, the go-tos, the Manhattan martini, sure. you know, that stuff. You're a portfolio. That, my portfolio. That allowed me to kind of take my time and ease in. I wasn't bar backing for someone. I right. wasn't, it was a very different entrance than I think most people the t- did. The, the tempo is different of a place because it's a little <laughs> bit slower, right? Absolutely. So because it was slower and I was usually the only bartender back there, it was just sink or swim. So it's like if the rush came, it's on you. Have it. Yeah. It's, it's not. You. It's not. Time you have time to, play to just and be jam creative. out. Yeah. yeah. So I was there for a few months, and then I stayed, kept that job, and then picked up a job, this place Hutch and Harris, um, that a couple of my friends worked at, mm-hmm. um, and I started picking up shifts there, and that was like my first good gig in the, in the town, where I was really mixing drinks and talking to people, and you know, kind of jamming out and serving a lot more food. I was just serving a lot more. Yeah. Um, it was the it was actually the the kind of gig I was looking for to sustain myself to stay there. Yeah. And about three weeks later, I got offered a job in New York, and I left. Oh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, so where was, was this job you got offered? Um, it was working. It was teaching, actually. I was working um, for the same program I told you my brother works yeah. for. Oh, yeah. No um, he put they, in a good word or was all on your own? Well, he basically, he was like, hey, we're hiring. Are you interested? And I was like, yes. You know, like I didn't really think teaching was for me. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, they hired people based on their artistic skills. Really? And because I had a background in sports and art, it actually like made me even more viable for more programming for Amazing, them because yeah. basically they would go into the schools with need so a lot of schools really needed sports and a yeah. lot of schools really needed like music or you know all sorts of like weird well you have a very rich like plethora of skills once so. again so it was like maybe the first job that taught me that that was a good thing yeah. that like oh wait my weird eclectic background actually makes me not more so of bad. a candidate yeah. not less of a candidate Amazing, you know? yeah. um so that's what took me out of there and basically I moved there for the first six months. That's all I did. It was the first time in my life where I didn't work at night. Yeah. I didn't do music. I didn't do any of that. I you know, got to know my brother again, got to know my new city, um, got to know my new job, and enjoyed it. And then I ended up getting a, a little DJ gig. That's uh, how I got back into nightlife. Just um, the, like just dipping your foot. Just dip, dipping my toe right, in the right, water. Right. It was a Thursday night, um, you know, less than 200 bucks. And it mm-hmm. was like, oh, cool. I needed some, some extra cash. I love DJing. Um, it was a friend's bar, so oh, killer, yeah. it was great. And then I started doing Saturdays, so still working my full time. And then I was doing Thursdays and Saturdays. You're moonlighting. Oh, you already know. <laughs> and so uh, summertime came. Um, the work dried up, of course, because it's yeah. summer. Yeah. And even the DJing work dried up. Really? Because New York tends to clear out in certain neighborhoods. Like I was on the Upper East Side, it tends to clear out in the summertime. Interesting. Okay. Um, a lot of people go to the Hamptons and vacation. Right. And right. Fire um, Island. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So basically, I was. That's kind of where I hit my first crossroads where I paid my rent. I was dead broke. Uh-huh. I didn't have a job and unemployment wasn't coming for three weeks. So I just knew I was like, well, you're here. You don't have any money. So you can't do anything. Uh, you don't have your other gig, you know, the moonlight gig. Right. Right. And that's when I wrote the screenplay. I spent the next three weeks writing that, that feature. No film. kidding. Yeah. Um, and that was an awesome way to spend a month. Like, yeah, it's it was really. Cool. I mean, it's incredibly I just, immersive. I just, dove in. and being... I just dove into it, and like nothing else mattered. Were you drinking? That. 
I was doing some drinking. What what what, <laughs> what were you drinking? Because I uh, I, love, I romanticized this screenplay sure. writer man. Yeah. What do yeah. you drink? What's right by you as you're on the typewriter? I'd say early day coffee for sure. Uh huh. Sure. Um, of course. Of and course. And that would usually turn into whiskey. Yes. Slash possibly some red wine. Ah. Uh, okay. In the evenings. Um. At the time, I was quite a cigarette smoker, so yeah. that was actually a pretty big part of it. It's I used to chain smoke when I write, which I'm very glad I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um. But yeah, whiskey. Whiskey was still my drink of choice. Uh, 20, what are we talking, like 25? Irish whiskey. Five, 20, wait, wait. Tell them we're due to be exact. All right, perfect, Believe it or not. Perfect, believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, it's really funny when I started working on this this portfolio. Um, and I, I realized unique, tell, uh, Yeah, I was like, I realized Tell them we're due was like, you know, one of our sister brands. And yeah. I was like, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, page 27? Yeah. <laughs> that's that. <laughs> that's my jam. But um, What's yeah. It, what, uh, it was, well, how old are you up at this time? I was 26. Six? God, it's so perfect. That is exactly yeah. like the exactly the time to go mm-hmm. chain smoke, drink your coffee <laughs> black, drink your Irish whiskey, write mm-hmm. your screenplay for three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. So the end of the month emerges. It emerges. Do do? Um, I was hoping to get summer work. It yeah. didn't work out, and then I end up. Oh, that's how I got back into restaurants. No kidding. So I hadn't bartended in almost a year. I definitely had no New York experience. Yeah, and that's a big thing there, man. There's they want like, oh. you to have. Where's your New York experience? You could have worked 10 years somewhere else, and they still want you to say where you worked there. It's mm. very strange. Hmm. Um, but it's just, you, you start to see it once you work there for a while. It's a weird experience. Strange city nepotism. Very, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of a strange way that, that things happen there, and you start to understand it, why they ask for it over time. Yeah. Um, and so I got turned down from a bunch of gigs, you know, not because I didn't have the chops, not because I didn't have the personality. They were like, you just don't have any experience. You don't have any references. Um, and I reached out to Jim Ryan, actually, our national brand ambassador mm-hmm. on Hendrix. Um, and I didn't know him very well. Um, he and my brother had actually gone to the same college, and I had met him years and years before that. In New York or in, uh, in North, North Carolina? Carolina, actually. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, they went to acting school together. That's insane. Um, oh, wait. Are, are, you, are you meaning to tell me that another actor is a brand ambassador? <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, so I, I knew him, but we, did, we didn't know each other well. Yeah. We were like Facebook friends. And I reached out and I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm just really interested in getting a bartending gig. I know that you're doing all this amazing stuff. You know, he was he was already the, the East Coast ambassador of Hendrix at that yeah. time. And I was like, just any pointers you can give me. And he gave me some really, really cheeky, dope advice. Nice. Um, and I took it. And I ended up getting hired uh, to open a French bistro in Chelsea um, called La Promenade des Anglais mm-hmm. with uh, the chef Alain, Alain Allegretti, a uh, French chef from Nice. Okay. Um, I started out as the day shift bartender, day, weekday day shift bartender, right. lunches, oh, brutal. The day shift, yeah. Um, and within two weeks, I was weeknights. Within two more weeks, I was weekends. Within six weeks, I was the bar manager. Within another month and a half, I was the assistant general manager, beverage director. Really? It just happened. I just, I dug it out. You took to it? I took to it. What did it you like about me. it? I like the work. Like, I don't know. Just, just the, the, how it like came to, especially opening. One plus a, one equals this thing? Or right. Like, or just opening a new place and how intense it was and yeah. how, like, insane it was, but how much, how good it felt to close to close that night, you know, yeah, after yeah. getting reviewed by the Times, after getting reviewed, all the stress, um, seeing it come into fruition and seeing it actually feed the business and feed the clientele. And I created my regulars and it became home. It, it was the first time I felt at home. In New York, I made some of my best friends that I'm still friends with at that restaurant. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and I ended up staying with that company. Um, they they liked my skills as a beverage director, and they promoted me to a larger property in Midtown, mm-hmm. where I ran beverage for um, their three properties there. 
And that was beautiful. I learned so much from them. It, I, it was such a blessing. I'm so grateful. But it was the hardest job I've ever had in my life. But that's is, good because it's manage, like, managing a restaurant in Midtown. It upped it. You know, uh, it uh, what's the word? It yeah. trained you and mm-hmm. really, really honed your skills to be ready for New absolutely. York. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so that's actually I left that job and went back to bartending so I could finish my screenplay actually, yeah. which I did. How long? Um, much longer did it take you to finish? Uh, about a year. Oh wow! A little over a year. A few. I think I went through three or four revisions yeah. and some pretty hard edits after the reading. Um and I ended up getting a job. One of my old managers from the first place I opened right. was running, um, was the the new GM at the Mark Hotel by Jean George oh, wow. on the Upper East Side. Um, got a spot on their bar team. <clears throat> Phenomenal bar team at the time. It was unbelievable pool of talent, <clears throat> and it was a great hot popping Upper East Side you sure. know spot. So I got to meet all sorts of people and great clientele. I got to learn a lot about high end wines and yeah. cocktailing and. Just kind of get back to my bartending core. To me, that's when I became a bartender. Um, I can tell you the exact moment. Um, we bartended through Hurricane Sandy. Oh actually, my gosh, really? Tropical Storm Sandy. Sure, sure. But um, at least it wasn't a depression. Then we wouldn't have anything to talk about now. <laughs> but um, what was so interesting about it is um, the, there was only two of us that lived in Manhattan, uh-huh. like that were on shift to work. Um, it was a hotel and it was uptown, and they had closed everything below Forty Second Street. Okay. So all the people that didn't evacuate, you know, uh, basically came up. They got a place to stay, right? Yeah. And so it was packed with celebrities and all that. And it was just really insane. But we basically spent four days at work, working, um, trying to, to serve this hotel. Right. Um, so that we, I don't even know. It was just how it happened. It was like we had about 30% staff and we had about 120% occupancy. Oh, my gosh. Um, we had a generator. So people were very attracted to that. So like in a storm. way, it was the Gilligan's Island of bars at it the was, time. And That's it was, so cool. It was cool. It was so stressful. But at I the end of it, it, it was beautiful. It's when I realized that I could never get weeded, I could never get put in a position where yeah. I was uncomfortable behind the bar. I saw and did everything. Well, it was like, like everything that into- could potentially. We ran out of everything. We couldn't get deliveries yeah, for five right, days. Right, right. So, like, the bridges were closed, everything. So, by the time people Thursday, were drinking freaking, what's the green stuff? <laughs> Not chartreuse. chartreuse. No, no, they'll drink that. No, yeah. what's the other? Midori. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dude, all right, what do you got? It got to the point where I'm serving, I'm serving whatever in whatever glass. <laughs> it's like, take it or leave it, you know, and this is a very yeah. high clientele. You got a bowl? I'll take a <laughs> bowl of Midori. Like, I'll lap it up. It's fine. <laughs> um, but that's, that's when I really, I think, developed a true love for this industry mm-hmm. was in spite of that was like the fact that we got through it. Yeah. And then we realized that, oh, man, we could do anything. You know, like, that's I almost mean, like Stockholm syndrome. Where you're degree, like, so abused. I'm, I'm so tired of you fuckers. I've been in here for three days with you guys. I love you guys. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, kind of, yeah, you know, yeah. and I don't know. It was, it was a really special experience. Um, and I stayed with them for like an, another six months or so. Um, and then myself and another uh, bartender who had worked with me at, at the first spot and had become a bartender at this spot. Yeah. Uh, we both left around the same time we started Mixed Neat, the oh, business cool. I was telling you about. Um, and I did that for maybe a year, year and a half before I, I came on locally with Hendrix. Another another entrepreneurial endeavor. Yeah, it's, it's still going strong, actually. So when did you start? And is it just over a year now with Hendrix? Is that correct? Um, yeah, just March? over a year in this in this role. Yeah, um, yeah. I, got, I, I got hired onto this role um, looking after the Central and South yeah. in August of last year. Oh, okay. Um, but before that, I was looking after Hendrix locally in New York for about a year. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I got I to gotta take this time to say, like, the people that I've met from William Grant and Sons, mm-hmm. 
you guys are fucking awesome, man. Cool folk, right? It's been killer. <laughs> like, if I was going to start an all-star, all-star, like, Live Aid band, you know, with, like, Bono and Steven Tyler and stuff, I would pick everybody from this portfolio. <laughs> that is so like, flattering. Wait, no, I, yes, yes, Trevor, you, yes, you. <laughs> so many rock stars. Fred, man. yes, Fred, yes. Wingo, fuck yeah, Wingo. You're on drums, you're back there, but still, you're on the team, Wingo. Oh, man, that means you haven't even met Gravy yet. No, you? no, oh. Gravy, who's Gravy? Oh, Gravy is our Sailor Jerry ambassador oh, for, no. for this region as yeah. well. So I will make sure he stops by. That would be brilliant. Through. Yeah, he's because awesome. I, I mean, he's, he's now he's a former punk rock guy from Philly. So oh, we oh can, don't even yeah, gag nasty. You're gonna, gonna want to pick his brain like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I met. Uh, <laughs> do you know Omar Yafoon from eighty six? Yeah, I know Omar. Yeah. So Omar, mm-hmm. we started. You know, I remember that one afternoon. I kind of was in Dallas and I was going to interview him, and mm. we started up talking. Like, like, yeah, I was auditioning for this band. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I was in. Colorado. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, I was playing Craig Alvarez's setup from The Descendants. I'm like, oh, oh fuck, really? That's a whole other story. Whole other <laughs> so that's how I knew he and I would get along. That's you know? killer. But, that's, but, killer. but that's the thing that I really love about these chats and the industry in general is mm-hmm. just everybody comes from some place that I particularly love, like film. Mm-hmm. I love screenwriting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't do it because I just can't right now, but I love the concept of it. Mm-hmm. I love filmmaking. I love music. I love cocktails and so it ma- I, I can't imagine that you weren't anything short of just grateful like you're like i'm gonna do this hendrix thing i'm yeah. gonna do this yeah i mean honestly it was um i didn't really even know what this job was until it was my job yeah frankly and once i got a taste of it it was no turning back yeah like you know what i mean it, it was it embodied so many things that i love to do yeah and frankly um I, I probably wouldn't have done it for, for another brand. I mean, I was already a huge fan of Hendrix. Hendrix was the gin that introduced me to the category of gin, me personally. Yeah. And I know it's true for lots of people. So man. many other people sure. where it's where it's a great gateway into this beautiful, beautiful category because it's it's just much different than yeah. it's unusual. It's different it's it different is. than yeah. what you're used to. Um and that's what I think I was so passionate about is one of my first tasks was um uh, a pilot multicultural program that was really focused on going into areas where there wasn't a brand presence, where there wasn't a lot of spirits education, right, right. where there were a lot of really great bars and restaurants. Um, so I started in Harlem. And so since that was also my neighborhood, also like, you know, where I'd, I'd worked at a bunch of bars, yeah. you know, in the last Mr. Samuelson's in there, right? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Red Rooster. I did a lot of stuff uh, with them. Um, and it was just like a really beautiful uh, meeting of all these things that I liked, which was my neighborhood, which was this great brand of, of gin that I was in love with, yeah. which was the music and the art and the culture, how it balanced. And also, like, Harlem is a big bar hopping community. Yeah. And, like, I totally took that to the umpteenth. Like, you That's know what incredible. I mean? Yeah. Um, I was once judging a competition. Um, this was two years ago, last year. Um, and I had to taste 32 cocktails. And... I was supposed to have three weeks to do it, mind you. It wasn't yeah. supposed to be madness. But uh, I had just started backfilling this role. And so I had quite a bit on my plate. I was traveling outside of the city a lot. And just the way my schedule worked out, I only had three days to visit all these accounts. Oh, man. So I bar crawled 32 bars in three days and tasted every single drink, wrote my Amazing. notes, voted for who I thought should move on to the to the um, to the final, and yeah. it was a really cool experience that I had to recover from slightly. I but can't imagine. Yeah, 32. It was, it was a, a lot, really man. interesting experience just to move at that pace. Yeah. 
um, doing something like that. It's not even something I would necessarily recommend, but it was a really interesting way. Well, it's, to you got to do it once. See your city. You got a binge know? tour. Yeah, it's it like was basically cool. like that. It was pretty cool. Well, but, so um, so so two two things that, mm-hmm. to kind of wrap this up. Sure. So one is that I never get to make cocktails for people. So this mm-hmm. is a really a privilege for yeah, me. Mostly people will make, they'll bring me stuff and you did, you mm. amazing Hendrix gin, but I got to make an RV Navy cocktail. So three fourths orgeat, three fourths lemon, and then an ounce and a half of gin. So it seems like you finished yours. I finished mine already. <laughs> <laughs> it was no, delicious. Wait, no, I got it was really one, good. I got one little sip here. A nice little nudge there. Well, cheers. Cheers. Prost. Absolutely. Prost. Skal Nostarovia. Sante. Sante. The Hendrix, man, it sits perfectly between those two. Yeah, and this nice trinity. Mm-hmm. What it? What's it about this cocktail that you kind of go to? Um, I like it. I I really love um like a that nutty flavor. I love orgeat. Yeah. I love you know we were talking about the flanum. Um, I love those kind of flavors and their balance with citrus. But I also like how this particular drink plays with some of the botanicals in Hendrix. Yeah. Um, mostly the lemon peel, orange peel, those citrus notes. Um, and then some of those like kind of sweeter notes, like the elderflower kind of plays with it a little bit yeah. and you, you still get that great floral, that, that rose note. And, you know, I don't know, it just, it's it so just really rich, blends and balances. Yeah. And that's one of the things about Hendrix. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys use some cucumber distillate, some rose distillate mm-hmm. from what I understand from your master distiller who had some sure. nice insight there. It's a very nice, warm and round gin. It's not polarizing. It's very round. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And it's so balanced. And I think that's from a cocktail perspective. It's awesome because it's something that you can go very minimalist on and still get great flavor. But when you add flavors, it also makes those flavors pop. Totally. You know, if you add something spicy, that cubeb pepper really wakes up. Oh, cubeb, if you add, yeah. If you add any kind of citrus, the citrus notes kind of blink their eyes, you know. And, and the same with anything floral, because not only do you have the rose, but you also have other notes in there that are going to give you floral, like um, the chamomile or like, um, yeah, really like chamomile or even like, the fact that like some of the roots are in there and yeah. really oh, tying yeah, yeah. and binding things together. But that's what I love about gin. That's what I love about the category is is the beautiful botanicals that you can use. Yeah. What I love about Hendrix gin is specifically the botanicals. You know, and, and the way that they're put together and the fact that we use the two still process. So you get like this depth of flavor that's so different because you're not just getting orange peel, you're getting orange peel peel from two different stills. Right. Um, from a Carter Head and a Bennett still, which impart very, very different characteristics. So when you combine those together, you're not just getting orange peel; you're getting this depth of flavor that yeah. it's really different. Different mic'd yeah. oranges, <laughs> <laughs> lots of sonic depth, sure. right? Sure. Well, so if That's good. the That's a good analogy, <laughs> you always three mics on the right? orange man. What's that orange say? <laughs> what? So let's let's say that mm-hmm. everything went perfect today and mm-hmm. tomorrow, and there wasn't a weather problem. It wasn't overcast. It wasn't. <sighs> Yeah, raining. What, what could have been? What could have been okay, in Austin? Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, the campaign that we're doing now is to celebrate National Cucumber Day. Yeah. Which is not a holiday that Hendrix Gin made up, believe it or not, but no it is kidding. a holiday that we have taken over. Um, Good. Yeah. So National Cucumber Day is going to be June fourteenth. We are throwing a massive party in New York City, where all of us are coming from all over the country to wow. celebrate together. Um, leading up to that, I'm. We're all traveling all over the country doing lead-up events. Yeah. Um, and luckily, our Hendrix airship, the Flying Cucumber, uh, is back in effect from last year, wow. uh, making less stops this this time, but some really interesting ones. I was really hoping to bring it to Austin. Um, but it's a 135-foot Flying Cucumber. 
And uh, what is it? Is it model after the nice, like the pickling cucumber, the English cucumber, the would, Japanese cucumber? I'd say the English cucumber, <laughs> okay, probably. That's good. That's good. But you know, it has this lot of length, not as much it, girth. You know, and it's 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 even if you see the design, there's there's really nothing like it. Yeah. Um. What's so cool about it is the captains, like you know, the guys that that fly it are just phenomenal human beings. Yeah. Um. And some of what we do around it is really fun and unusual. Um. Where we we have the Hendrix Air Lounge, where you would probably be meeting myself or oh, one of my counterparts, man. my cucumber compatriots. Yeah, uh, cupatriots. Cupatriots. <laughs> if there's two of us, that's two cumber. You know, <laughs> it, it just keeps going. Um, they call cumber. us the cucumber quartets. Oh, I like that. That's good. Um, but basically, you know, we're, we're there to host you and to host you in our Hendrix Air Lounge. Yeah. And then you know, um, a very select lucky group of people actually gets to fly in in the flying cucumber. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and if it does fly overhead and you hashtag Hendrix Gen Flying Cucumber, yeah. you can win a chance to ride. Amazing. Yeah. So we were really, uh, we did everything that we could, you know, to, to make it happen. But unfortunately, I still can't control the weather. I'm working on it. Yeah. Uh, but, well, I mean, you can only <laughs> do so much. Yeah. But the but, 14th, um, is that more... 14th is going to be in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, we're doing a big party. Um, and I think that will be the last run of the Flying Cucumber oh, as well. And um, I think before that, it'll be in Miami, Florida, uh, possibly New Orleans Yeah. before that. But um, it, it kind of really just depends on the weather and, and what we can do. But if you do get a chance to see it, it's it's pretty breathtaking and I pretty cool. It, um, it reminds me of Terry, Terry Gilliam, like the, lots right, of that art design and stuff. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to like our cheeky nature, you Absolutely. know? Um, but also, I think what was really cool about bringing the Flying Cucumber back this year, that it wasn't just about... The, the Hendrix airship, yeah. it was about the cucumber. And it's something that I feel like Hendrix Gin brought the cucumber into drinking, into cocktails very specifically. Um, it's still our signature serve for a lot of our drinks, yeah. um, most of our drinks even. But it's just, I don't know, it was so cool. It's cool to pay homage to the cucumber. begotten cucumber, you know? Yeah, dude. The coolest fruit, not vegetable. Cool. Out there, cool as, as hell. Cucumber. Exactly. So it's a good point. It's it's been a really fun process. Um, I'm doing a few things in Chicago um, in the few days leading up to National Cucumber Day, yeah. um, which is going to include like a rooftop kind of watch party. I am going to be doing a party here in Austin uh, tomorrow night. That was originally supposed to be a watch party, but oh, because yeah. uh, we're not going to be able to fly, Where I'm still here. It? I'm just going to be making some some delicious drinks and hosting, and hopefully just meeting some really great Austinites. Really, you know? Fred, you didn't have to stop by. But you did. My pleasure. Yeah. And it was just a pleasure enjoying the Hendrix, the Army Navy cocktail. Talk about music again and talk about history. There are some light bulbs going off. (laughs) It's really, really stunning stuff. So thanks so much for chatting with me. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. Well, there we have it. Yet another member of the William Grant and Sons team. This time, Fred Parent, the brand ambassador for Hendrix Gin, a lovely gin, some nice rose, some nice cucumber, and juniper notes. I. I kind of regret the fact that we couldn't see that blimp, that massive cucumber blimp in the Austin skies, but soon enough, I imagine, soon enough. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter what your thoughts are on the new Independence Day movie, which is awesome, what your favorite Jeff Goldblum shirtless pose is, please keep dancing.